Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. One of my favorite styles of podcast episodes is when I get to break down an article written by Pheasants Forever Journal editor Tom Carpenter. And Carp always runs with very fun listicle concepts and they make for terrific podcast conversations. So ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what we've got dialed up for you, coinciding with uh, the super issue, the upland bird hunting super issue, which mails to every single Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever member um, late summer, early fall to whet the uplander's appetite. And uh, for this particular episode, editor Tom Carpenter, Carp, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here again. Uh, You wrote an article, a fresh listicle, seven traits of the successful public land pheasant hunter, which we're going to break down for this conversation. Before before we dive into that article, it's been a few months since yeah. you've been on the, the podcast. So for folks that maybe um, haven't met you or haven't listened to an episode that you've been a part of, give us the... Uh, um, just the short uh, biography of Tom Carp Carpenter. Well, uh, apologies to the people who regularly regularly listen when I'm on, but I'll give a little background. Uh, for about four or five years now, I've been editor at Pheasants Forever. Um, I started outdoor writing in 1982 when I was still in college for the Monroe Evening Times in Monroe, Wisconsin, where I grew up hunting behind basset hounds are <laughs> Bob and I were just talking a little bit about deer hunting here I was telling him some of my stories and um, I've steadily become almost primarily an upland hunter through the years but I started out with basset hounds we had a little troop of basset hounds in our kennels and that's how I grew up hunting pheasants and rabbits um, along with squirrels and other small game in, in southwestern Wisconsin and um, I've come through the outdoor writing ranks in various capacities through the years and uh, ended up, I think, at the job I was probably meant to have, Mm. and that's being editor at at Pheasants Forever, where you get to write about hunting, of course, which we're going to talk about today, but more importantly about the habitat and the efforts and the initiatives that go into putting that habitat and public access and public places to hunt onto the ground. And uh, that sort of ties us back to this topic uh, of public land pheasants. I've been hunting public land pheasants since the mid-1970s when there wasn't much public land. Mm. And um, it's very interesting to see how it's changed through the years. There's more public land than ever. There's also more pressure than ever. Yeah. It's, th- that's, and more threats to take it away. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that we're not going to, we're, we're going to have some fun here in this podcast, obviously, but, but it does tie back to your importance as a PF and QF member to stand up for this public, these public lands and public access. Yeah. And um, we're going to, we're not going to, 
harp on that, but we are going to talk about hunting these public lands for pheasants. So anyway, that's a little background. I'm now a, a French Brittany guy, my little doggy lark. A lot of people know about her. Uh, she's my partner in, in all sorts of crime now. <laughs> um, and you'll see, a, you'll see more of the, you'll see more of her coming up in an issue here and there. But uh, that's, that's my, that's my background. Yeah. You know, I've, I've hunted pheasants since 1974 across the almost every state that has pheasants yeah. i've hunted them in so a couple podcasts ago uh the featured guest was matt kaharski chairman of the national board of directors and uh as you know we we announced uh, the search for our next president and ceo to um grab the baton from howard vincent when he retires at pheasant fest and howard is only the second president and ceo of the organization and i bring this up because you carp are only the third editor yep. of pheasants forever's journal dennis anderson one of the founding um, members of this organization back in 1982 and then mark herwick yep. and then you so I, I bring it up because um it just goes to show like the the very small turnover and the passion that exists amongst the employees you know when you when you land a job at pheasants forever quail forever it truly is a dream none of us are gonna end up rich but we're rich in experience and and something that uh we all take great pride and passion in, in fulfilling as a career yeah, I think you, you said the words that are right, the pride and the passion. And um, that's really what, what it's all about. You know, we're not in it for the money. Uh, Pheasants Forever is a great place to work, Quail Forever. Because every morning when you get up, you know you're doing something in some way, shape, or form that's going to benefit upland habitat. That's the most important aspect of what we do and and when times are tough that's sort of what you think about yeah you know everybody's job has challenges mine mine sounds like it's romantic but it's not it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of drudgery too um you get to do fun things but it's, it's hard work and when it's hard when that hard work is hardest it's most important to think about what the final outcome is yeah the payoff yeah um and you brought up that membership is so critically important in organization um if you're passionate about the uplands whether you're a pheasant hunter quail hunter prairie grouse hunter um part of the benefit of membership not only knowing that your dollars are going to initiatives like the grassland act or the next farm bill or a land acquisition or introducing the next generation of the outdoors part of the dollars provide every member a benefit and the number one benefit that, based on surveys, that every member heralds is the Pheasants Forever Journal or the Quail Forever Journal, or maybe yeah. both. And the super issue is the delivery of kind of the pinnacle of the publications where yes. uh, it's it's sought after. It's it's the issue everybody looks forward to. It's a celebration of the hunt. It's hunting stories. There's obviously habitat connections that make that all possible but it is uh, kind of the celebration of the season that is to come that we're right on the precipice of and it's it's beyond and it's beyond pheasants and quail although i will say this year's upland super issue has 
I think a little more focused than usual on pheasants and quail. One of the little themes that you'll see when you get that issue, and it should be in your hands pretty soon, Mm -hmm. if not already, is that for the pheasant hunter, here's insights into quail. And for the quail hunter, here's why you should go hunt some pheasants. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great, it's a great, and there's, a, there's prairie grouse, there's forest grouse, there's mountain grouse, there's, there's all those other topics in there. And it's sort of funny. I wrote, you know, at the, at the end of each story is a, a little blurb, a sentence about the author. And I try to make them fun and funky. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think they are. And I wrote one about myself. I think it might have been with this feature uh, that we're going to talk about in our podcast today. And I wrote, Tom Carpenter is editor at Pheasants Forever, and he puts up with the job all year so he can edit the super issue. (laughs) So It's a passion project. Yes. Labor of love. Yep. And it goes beyond pheasants into quail, which I I love too. And I know all the other game birds I love as well. And every time we do the Super Issue teaser podcast, which in essence this is, right? This yeah. is a, a focused on an article. We throw out, if you're not yet a member of Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, we do print extras. They're here at the warehouse. Yep. If you sign up and join, but you've signed up too late to get this issue, we'll take care of you. You just got to get involved in, in Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever. Drop one of us an email, tcarpenter at pheasantsforever.org, Bob S at pheasantsforever.org, yep. or quailforever.org, and uh, um, we want you to get involved. And, and, and we'll believe you. Just tell us, I joined. I just I heard the podcast. I just joined. Send me the super issue. I'll keep a list, and once a week or so, I'll, I'll get them all sent out. So you, will, you can get this super issue, and that's the way to do it, and we will take care of you if you email either of us. All right, the article, Seven Traits of the Successful Public Land Pheasant Hunter, written by Tom Carpenter. And here I go again, Carp. I'm going to read your words back to you to get us going. We could talk all day about the nuts and bolts of hunting ring-necked pheasants on public land. Yes, those building blocks matter. Topics such as hunting the right habitat at the right time of day. Understanding how hunting pressure affects bird location and behavior, behavior, using the wind correctly. We've done a podcast yep. about that. Yep. And developing a working relationship of reciprocal trust with your bird dog. That's the easy stuff. I'll disagree a little bit there, <laughs> but, but that's all right. Let's talk about the hard part and what may matter even more to your success. The way one approaches the hunt. Call it what you will. Spirit. Attitude, mindset, effort, energy, heart, outlook, those qualities are going to get you as many birds as being a smart tactician. And I know you well enough. This is where your passion lies. I mean, you're, I, I hunt with some people that are, are like military-style tacticians. When we get out of the truck, they're like, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go that, and we're going to loop, and we're going to... That's not you, is no, it? No, um, and and you you sort of hit you you hit that exactly, and I I think we're going to argue a little bit, which is good <laughs> about what's more important, tactics or approach, mm-hmm. and that's what this is about is the approach. Certainly, tactics are important, but y- you you read my words there. These the qualities we're going to talk about 
are going to get you as many birds as being a smart mm-hmm. tactician. And, but you're right. I'm, I'm as, I'm a serious tactician when it comes to pheasant hunting and people who know me and Bob knows this, you know, if you're told you, you got one day left to hunt in your life, what's it going to be? There, there's hands down. I'm mm-hmm. going to hunt pheasants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think about fall, I'm going to hunt prairie chickens and sharptails in September. In the first couple weeks of October, I hunt rough grouse and woodcock. And then once pheasant season starts, it's all pheasants all mm-hmm. the time, except for a brief dalliance here or there with, with whitetails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm while I'm a tactician, I'm also a trudger. I just go. Mm-hmm. I just go. I put one foot in front of the other. But you've got to get your there, – there's a little more to it. And that's what this story is about yeah. is – and, and, and when I I said I you know when I wrote that's the easy stuff and I said I argue with it because to me that the hard part is the tactician like trying to figure out what the birds are gonna do based upon yeah. the circumstance you know the wind and the habit reading the habit like the stuff that you've written about here the the attitude I'm all for that like just go right like just yep. get out there and do it because. Like, yep. I come at it from a perspective of, um, you know, they they make bumper stickers like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be bird hunting than working right. or doing, you know, whatever in, in the world. Like, if I don't get a bird, let alone a limit, you know, I'm still out with my dogs exploring. It. Like, so, you know, th- this, um, this article hit my sweet spot. So good. We'll dive in. Seven traits of the successful public land pheasant hunter. Uh, we still don't have sound effects in the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, t- the successful public land pheasant hunter takes days off from work. Yep. And we've talked about this before, but expound upon it for us, Carp. I've, I learned this fairly long ago i'm not going to say since the inception of my pheasant hunting days but i would say since the 1990s i've learned that i've paid more attention to the fact that public lands are busier on weekends Mm. there's just no way shape form ifs ands or buts otherwise People work for a living. We work for a living. Mm-hmm. Bob and I work for a living. Believe it or not, we can't always just run off and hunt during the week. But sometimes you have to prioritize your pheasant hunting. And there is just less pressure on public lands during the week. I mean, it's amazing to go out on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or a Thursday. Mm-hmm. And you, you pretty much will have those lands to yourself. I can almost guarantee it, except for the other folks who, <laughs> it, except for a couple things. One, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm coming at it from the perspective of, I always say, I can drive an hour and get pheasants maybe. Mm-hmm. I can b- drive two hours and have a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. I can drive three hours and be in some of the best pheasant country, pheasant land, pheasant hunting places in the country. Yeah. I'd, that I'd west in western Minnesota that I would. So just for folk, we're sitting in the Twin Cities, and I've I've said the exact same word. In the Twin Cities, you can drive an hour, and you can legitimately be in pheasant country and potentially see some birds. Right. Yep, yep. Two hours, it increases by a, a multiplier. Yes. You drive three hours from the Twin Cities, and you're hard pressed to find 
better places anywhere. It made me, it puts you on the South Dakota border, the Iowa yep. border, and that, and there's just not a lot of big towns from anywhere. Yeah. And there's a lot of good habitat. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt no, you, but that's what you were yeah, explaining. Th- exactly. And if, if you live in pheasant country, if you're fortunate enough to live in a, in pheasant country where there's a lot of public lands around, you know, this, you know, mm-hmm. you, you go out and hunt after work. You know, I, I saw, I saw a fellow last year. I was happened to be in Marshall, Minnesota. It's no secret. It's, a good pheasant yeah, place. Yeah. And I saw him at the uh, gas station. We're both wearing orange. I was filling up my car to come home from a day hunt. He was filling up his. He was just heading out, and it was f- about 45 minutes of light left, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he was going out for that hunt. And he, he doesn't even hunt on weekends. He, he bow hunts mm-hmm. on the weekends. He hunts pheasants during the week mm-hmm. out there. But this, th- so that's what this tip is about is if you're serious about hunting public land pheasants and you're serious about trying to avoid some of the traffic that is just a reality Mm -hmm. of today's public land hunting situation take some days off whether it's planned or whether it's sort of floating them and you got to call your boss and i always do things like this on the podcast like bob knows i'm gonna call in a day or two (laughs) this fall and go it's november 4th it's 40 degrees there's five mile an hour wind I'm, i'm going hunting Okay. Bye. (laughs) YOLO. You only live once. Yes. And you only, you only do it. And who cares if you've got to maybe push your convenience Mm -hmm. level a little bit to get out on some of these lands where there are pheasants, but it's tougher on the weekends. So make it a priority to hunt on some weekdays, whether you're taking a few days off from work and you, I, or you're just going to go out, go on a day trip on a day tripper. So I wholeheartedly agree with all of this, but I had to ask you one question and you wrote this in the story. Mm-hmm. You mentioned take Tuesday through Thursday off. You, you said the same thing. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are the focal point. You in Fridays, you say in the story, like Fridays, a lot of people treat as a weekend nowadays. Yep. And that, yeah, you know, I told, Holy get that. But you've left out Monday a number of times. And I'm, I'm thinking that's on purpose. And my theory is you left Monday off because, well, sort of these public lands need a day to settle after the weekend push. And by Tuesday, you actually start getting some freedom or, or things have sort of settled Settled enough for the bird is that your thought process with leaving mondays out or are you just thinking "Ah, i don't want to tell people mondays are my day no it's 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 mostly what you said i i just believe mondays are well weekend pressure is high Mm -hmm. birds get way off pattern they're in all these crazy spots um maybe even not on the property anymore and I just think Mondays are a good day to let them filter back and be in. Now, do I do that because I'm worried about the birds and they need a day off? No, I do it because I think they're coming back. Yeah. By and Tuesday, things by tu- will be settled. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they settle. And I, I, <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I think Friday morning, you're still good. And then, but I think by Friday afternoon, you're seeing the weekenders mm-hmm. coming out, you know, especially in our work at, 
work at home world these days, mm. I think people can say, I mean, it's just reality. Like, yeah, we're, we're leaving at 11. We'll be out there at two and we can hand bone a spot till dark. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, you, yeah. if you're listening, you just, I, I bet 50% of you just saw yourself in that description. Mm. And it's me too. Mm. I mean, you know, if I've, if it is a weekend, I'll try and get out there on Friday. And I think a lot of people do. So a weekend, a weekday to me is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because that's the hardest day for people to get, get off. You, whether you're, whether you're, uh, you know, putting, putting transmissions in the Jeep, in Jeeps at the dealership, that's your job. Or whether you're a CEO, mm-hmm. you're working on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's when things happen. Right. And, um, I don't know. So that, that's my, that's my, I don't know. The, these tips can go in any order as to sure. importance, but to me, that's one of the big ones. Hunt on weekdays. You, you can get birds on weekend, of course, but you're going to be dealing with other hunters. Yeah. And that's a whole different topic. All right. Number six of the seven traits of the successful public land pheasant hunter. The successful public land pheasant hunter conducts scouting trips. Number six. So tell us about that. Scouting for bird hunting. Well, in your scouting, as much as you're scouting birds, you're scouting habitat. Mm -hmm. And if you're going through a P, oh, let me start with an example. Like, as we record this, the upcoming weekend, I'm going to meet a few friends in northeastern South Dakota. We're going to fish. But I can guarantee you the trip out and some of the time there when we're not fishing and the trip back, we're going to be looking at spots that we hunt. Pheasant hunting spots. Pheasant hunting spots, both in northeastern South Dakota and far western Minnesota. And what what will we be looking for? Well, no guarantees we're going to be there at the times of day when you might conduct a roadside survey mm-hmm. and see birds. But I'm going to be looking at habitat, and it's August. It's like, oh, here's a big surprise. I'm going to be looking at fields with flowers. Mm. I'm going to want to see find some of that pollinator habitat that we all just salivate at when we mm-hmm. see it in the in hunting season. And it's not flowers then, but you can look at it at this time of year and know it's good pheasant habitat. Because... They're, the flowers pull in the insects, and the insects are food for those broods. So, you know, yeah. early season, those birds are still in there eating the insects. Yeah. And even as season wears on, you get the first skiff of snow. Mm. Some of that soft grass, brome or whatever it is, which is good for mm-hmm. raising them, but not good for overwintering them, is flat. Mm-hmm. What's standing up? Those wildflower stems. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's just that pollinator habitat. So that's just one example, but a blue stem, fields of the blue stem. You know, if you're a experienced pheasant hunter, or even if you're just learning, you're, you quickly learn the types of habitat yeah. that, that are going to hold birds. So it's scouting for habitat. It's like, what if there was a burn this year mm-hmm. and that habitat's coming back, but it was like, oh... It, it's it's just not quite there. Right. It might have some birds really in the year, but late it isn't. But what if you come back in December and you're like, remember that field that just needed a burn, but it wasn't, and it's so tangled? Man, you get in there on a winter day. I mean, you so scout habitat. You can also get up and scout birds. And, and here's a big surprise. Uh, if you do find birds, 
pheasants aren't migratory. They're going to be in that area somewhere. They might get pushed about during hunting season, but to look for the right habitat, good habitat, and you can start to see it in late summer, mm-hmm. what it, what it is and what it's going to be. Uh, and, and birds to some extent, but yeah. you won't, you're not going to see as many birds in the middle of the day. You know, you got to be out there early or late in the day. Well, and a good example, we're coming off a really intense drought year of the summer of 21. Now there's some you know, dry places for sure here in summer of 22 as well, but you know, folks that went west and hunted um, the Dakotas, Montana, um, Nebraska, they, all, over the course of um, the fall of 21, you know that there was emergency haying and grazing and habitat wasn't what it, you know, a lot of hunters expected yep. compared to years prior, right? Yep. So you head into this fall, not only you have some variable weather conditions with some drought, but you also have all that land that was hated or grazed last year. What's it look like now? Yep. You know, so there's some practicality of are there places going to be thick? Are they going to be thin? What's the habitat look like? Yeah. Um, and it does also goes to having some local resources local because we always think about well knocking on doors private landowners getting public getting access not access to private land but there's another component with having local friends yes right and that's just how are things looking you don't even just hunting on public property but knowing somebody in northeastern south dakota is like hey you guys getting rain or how the flowers look what do you see in the brood so you know, making some friends at the coffee shop or the yep. restaurant and the gas them station, a, sending them a thank you card after the end of the season. And hey, can I call you in August and, yep. and ask you how things look that that sort of um, on the ground scouting? There's yep. no replacing it. Yep. It's just as good because let's face it, I, I'm, I'm going to be out there for other, other reasons, a fishing trip, mm-hmm. visit friends. But would I drive out there necessarily just to scout pheasants? No, and that's not necessarily. And that's where what you say comes in, contacts on the ground. And yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to too. And, and I have people who are serious about pheasant hunting have these contacts. You have over. a trap line of contacts. Yeah, I have, I have a, a trap line, a tour. And, um, <laughs> but it's important. It's, yeah. it's what you do. If you, if you like to shoot pheasants, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, one other example here, a couple years ago, Western Minnesota, WPA, waterfall production area. We scouted, scouted it on the way out to go prairie grouse hunting. It was grazed to the nubs, hmm. and we're like, we would have, we would have went there opening morning hmm. had we not scouted it and claimed our spot. You know, at six thirty in the morning, it would have got late, and there is a, 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 a putting green sure. for six hundred and eighty-three acres. Hmm. But we also, so obviously that year, but now it's come back and it's Mm. year one it's almost ready for another graze and you can just it just you can save yourself you know Mm. trouble by doing some of this scouting and you can see things like i talked about burns this graze with the cows were just mowing it down and it's but in the not so that not that year but the years the two three years following it it's been fantastic because yeah. it just got whacked by those mm-hmm. cows. And it, that was by design. Yeah, reinvigorates yep. the type of habitat that's out there. 
All right, the our our uh, commercial sponsor of On the Wing podcast plays right into number five. So um, thanks to OnX Maps for being a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and a sponsor of On the Wing podcast. If you want to find more birds this hunting season, look no further than the Onyx Hunt app. See, Carp, this is playing right into number five. <laughs> Perfection. Private and public land boundaries just begin to scratch the surface as Onyx has countless tools to make you a safer and more successful hunter. Onyx is trusted by millions of hunters across the United States, including Tom Carpenter and me. And you can join us by downloading an app, the app for a risk-free seven-day trial. Use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout process, and you'll also get 20% off your membership at onyxhunt.com. And you'll be glad to learn that a portion of all of Onyx's sales using these codes, pheasants and quail, goes back to support Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public access for all. Thanks, Onyx. Number five uh, for the successful public land pheasant hunter, subscribes and studies online mapping tools. You got Onyx on your phone, right, Carp? Yeah, and some people would say it's the most, I would guarantee if you could, if you could, and I'm sure we could analyze my screen time. That's what I do use most. That, that's my dominant screen time mm. year round. Mm. I'm always tooling through it. It's usually the last, to be honest with you, the last thing I do before I go to bed. Really? I look at spots. I look daydream. at things. I daydream. I look at spots. I tell you something fun. I load every public land pheasant I've shot over the last three years is I've got an Onyx mark, and I've got a picture attached to it if I had a picture of that bird. Wow. It's just something, I mean, it's just so fun to go back. And I do the same for trout fishing, um, deer hunting. I just... It's your lo- journal. It's, it is a journal. I journal as well, written, but it's, it's, a for, it's an adjunct to the journal. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I tell you what, if I lost my Onyx, I would be... I would be devastated, mm-hmm. you know, if I lost all that data, you know, and I've even called them for, is this all backed up, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so why mm-hmm. is it so important? I, I just can't imagine how we used to do it mm-hmm. without Onyx. And I'll tell you a story. I like telling little stories. Uh, a couple, two, two years ago, and this was in northeastern South Dakota, we I was, had a couple of my boys out there, and we're, it was a challenging hunt. It was a blizzard had come through in October, and we were really struggling. We were working hard, and we had, we had driven, oh, about 60, 70 miles to hunt, uh, to get out of the snow that was up on the Coteau, which is higher and colder. And we, but anyway, we came up to an intersection, and there was two guys in a truck, and it was a nice truck. They're obviously pheasant hunters. And they, if you can picture this, they were leaning together from the passenger side and the driver's side, and they had a map book upside yeah. down, and you could see them trying to count roads sure. to get to a piece of public land. And that's how we used to do it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I, I confess, I just, I pay my own on X. I'm like, I, I don't want it to be gone for one Mm-hmm. minute so i don't even know what it is i just let it go i th- I think it's about 100 bucks. 100 bucks i pay my own too i mean 
if you're not willing to spend that hundred bucks, then, mm-hmm. then, then, then I love you. You, I'm glad you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're sitting in an intersection with mm-hmm. an upside down MacBook counting section lines to try and, and furthermore, print is print for a reason. It's not updated. Onyx mm-hmm. gets updated faster. So why is it so important is it, lets you find more public lands Mm -hmm. you just can't there's just public lands that aren't on a printed plat map book that you can find and it also helps you do what i do is just wander electronically and scout and figure out and see this and see the access lanes and i mean here's an example there's uh, a wpa i know in northwestern iowa and if you look at it on the map on a printed map book, it's landlocked. You can't get at it. You get out, you look at on X, and you blow it up, and there's a half-mile lane mm-hmm. of access to it. Yeah. And I went down there in the winter, last winter in January, and my dog and I, were. it was eight below zero, and there's 20-mile-an-hour wind. We walked over that hill down that Galdarn lane and dropped down into this bowl the, and I mean, there was, if there was a dozen pheasants, then there, there were a hundred mm. and we had a merry old time chasing them around and my fingers were froze and we, we ultimately <laughs> got a couple birds. We missed a lot. My gun went, it was so cold. My gun mm. went, my gun went cycle and everybody, anybody who knows me knows it usually takes me two shots to get a pheasant. Mm. Well, you only have, well, you only got one shot. You don't get as many, <laughs> but the, the bottom line is mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to find that spot without on X. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many people that say, well, I'll just get it right before I go on a trip. I'll get it right. Be-. It, it goes back to the previous is scouting. I mean, I use it year round. I'm out driving around, whether it's a fishing trip or running dogs and you come across a piece of public land or, or you know, a grassland, a forest road, you name it that yep. you haven't seen before. And you're like, Oh, this has come of age. Yeah. This looks different than I remember it. And then you mark it. Yeah. And I just got a new spot. Yep. And yet, and it's amazing how you can define landscape features on it. I mean, you get to know right away and you know this, Bob, oh, this is a wetland, Mm -hmm. you know, this is cropland and there's other features too. And I don't even use those. Some of the crop features on Onyx, I got, I have to learn how to use those, but you can tell what is, a tree line, mm-hmm. what is a cedar thicket, what is wetlands, what is probably good grass. Right. And it, but then it comes, it does come back. You, you have to see it from the ground, either hunting it or, uh, or calling or whatever. But you can get a lot of work done on Onyx, not only before you ever set foot near the field, but mm-hmm. it, it can guide you to places that a little tour of what, what, what you think. This place looks interesting. I want to see it. The other thing that, um, is really interesting with, and advantageous to Onyx is some states produce atlases and they'll have state owned lands on there and federal owned lands. And then, you know, or you, you'll own a plat book or something or an atlas that you bought off the shelf. You know, I have WMAs or WPAs national grasslands but with onyx you also get those for tax forfeited land um school trust lands yep. right there's so many different varieties of public 
land access that show up on Onyx that you would drive by even with a a good you know printed map in your hands and be like I I don't even know what that is right there but with Onyx you look and you're like oh that's open to me I'll tell you a turkey hunting story Bob knows I I love my turkeys but it, southeastern Minnesota has a lot of good forest land mm-hmm. uh open to the public but a lot of it's landlocked mm-hmm. too there's a piece that comes within about 20 yards of a imagine not a four corners but a gravel road that takes a 90 degree turn 20 yards off that is a corner of public land that if you could get on it is about 350 acres of just prime turkey hunting land deer hunting whatever um so this was springtime i used on x i blew up the on x i looked at it the little corner the little ellipse shape Mm -hmm. that leads up to the corner is owned by the county. Hmm. I parked there and I went in to hunt. And one day when I came out to hunt with a turkey, by the way, a guy was waiting there and he said, you crossed private land to hunt that. I said, no, I didn't. And I pulled up my Onyx and I said, this is owned by the county. Hmm. And you know what he did? He just drove away. Hmm. So, that, but you can find these, yeah. this access and that's what you were getting. You right. can find these little access spots. And there's also, you know, Think about some of the things like state, uh, like natural areas. Mm-hmm. Like in Minnesota, we have state natural areas. If you got to do the research, some of them are open to hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, nature conservancy land. There's all kinds of lands that are shown on Onyx that don't show up on the printed maps. Right. Number four, the successful public, and this is a debatable one because yeah. you and I, and I go back and forth. I, I, I follow where where this says it goes um, two directions though. Yeah. yeah. So so the the number four says knows public successful public land hunter knows that bigger is better, and I abide by this. I agree. Like generally speaking, the bigger public property, the better chances um, because you're going to disperse the hunters. And, and that, they and, all, oh, go ahead. And. To me, the biggest reason I I subscribe to this is not only that it disperses the hunters, but if you're looking at, and believe me, I like little properties too. But <laughs> which is the think alternative? Of, think here. about a 160 acre spot, mm-hmm. and th- and three people have hit it mm-hmm. before you get there on Saturday at 3:30. There's not going to be many birds left they're going to have been pushed off but if it's a uh, 3850 acre property mm-hmm. those the, you've got a chance that there's those birds have been shunted about but they're still somewhere on the property right. or the adjoining WPA or the adjoining what you know the big we you call it a complex which is yep. a perfect word yep. a complex so the the argument to be made for that smaller property is that in your example that, well, there's been three groups through there by Saturday afternoon. The argument is, well, most people drive by that spot and yep. like, oh, that's too small. I'm not going to waste my time. And that there haven't been three people. There might not have been three groups there in three weeks because people, ah, oh, that's a waste of yep. my time. Right? So it, you can argue this one both yes. ways. Yes. And I, I guess I'm seeing in general, if if you're starting out you're learning to hunt pheasants 
I, I suggest looking for these complexes, this, this bigger is better, yeah. because there's less chance that the birds that are on there, there's more chance they're still on there. F- furthermore, a lot of these big complexes are in, intensely managed. Yeah. I mean, I think about places in Iowa, South Dakota, in western Minnesota that have land managers, some of them PF employees, that habitat is prime. Mm-hmm. There is there's as many birds on that as there is on prime yep. private land. It's just that they've been shunted about a little bit. But when it's big, yeah. you have a chance to get at them. Now the corollary is the lost little spots, and I I subscribe to those as much too. Last year in December, my youngest son and I were in southwestern Minnesota, and I'm not even going to name the acre count on this little piece. But we hunted a little piece, its wildlife area, and I'm sure nobody had hunted it. I'm sure because it's just a it's just a hell hole and it looks like nothing. And Bob knows I love that word. <laughs> and we shot three roosters there in an hour, huh. and it was it's under thirty acres. Mm. But nobody, it, and that gets back to what mm. you said. Nobody bothered. Three three. I'm not even going to say how many roads come together there. <laughs> You are as secretive as they come. All right. Uh, Number three, the successful public land hunter hunts at least one new property every single day they're in the field. Do you really do this? Every single day you're going to hunt one new place? Every single day? No, but... If I have a full day, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'm going out, like let's say it's the Friday, it's the Thursday afternoon run mm-hmm. or whatever, I'm sure. going to go out for a couple of days. I got a half a day. It depends how I feel. It depends on how how hard my heart is aching that I have to shoot a pheasant that day. Mm-hmm. But I might say, yeah, I'm going to go to O Spot X Y Z because I haven't been there and I know there's a bird there and mm-hmm. I can get one. Um, that's also a day I might say, you know, let's just try that new spot that I on X'd mm-hmm. at 1030 at night when I was laying in bed the other night. So w- if I had to put a number on it, I'd say of every full pheasant hunting day that I hunt in a fall, and that's a lot of them, 75% of them I'm hitting at least yeah. one new property. Yep. And philosophically, that's also going to make you a better pheasant hunter, isn't it? Yes. And it does it, it cause you see new ground and to, explore something new to see some new country to come over a hill and see something new mm-hmm. and that that's not only not only it's good for your heart but it's also good for your hunting because that milk run of spots expands now what's if i go 75 percent of every hunting day i will hit at least one new property now maybe not all day but i'm like the morning i'm going to sure. hit this spot how many of those pan out i would say Two out of three have potential, and one out of three to one out of four is like found it another honey hole. Mm. You know, I'd say one out of four turn out because you're also high grading them when you're scouting them. Sure. Either you know because some of them you'll drive, but I'll say this: you might drive up, you might have three three uh, in a complex, you might have three properties ID'd. You pull up to one, it's like nah. Two, eh, maybe number three. Oh yeah, this is mm. it. And then that might you know. You, but you're never going to exp- – are you going to hunt the same places every right. time? How are you ever going to – I just think whether you do it every day or half the days, force yourself to explore some new properties. That's, that's, the, that's the message here. Yeah. It's a, 
it's a good practice when, when you can get to a point where you have more good places than you can utilize. Yep. Right. And then, cause they are going to cycle. Yep. You know, maybe they age out, they need a burn. Yep. You're so going to you need, you're going to need other places. You're going to pull up to one and the great, the great, the great, the cows are grazing it, a managed graze. Yep. And you're like, got to go somewhere else. Somebody's parked there. So I love, I love the places I know and love and have shot birds, but they change. Yeah. They change. And you have to keep that milk run of spots going. So w- whatever your number is, explore new properties. Yeah. I and and if you've if you're just getting started hunting, how else are you gonna do it? <laughs> right. Just get out and start walking, right. you know. Right. And maybe your hit percentage won't be one out of four, but maybe it'll be one out of five or one out of six. And mm-hmm. and you hit you hit yeah, you put in an eight hour day, you probably get yourself a rooster. Sure. You know, and God, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and if you uh built a new spot or find a new spot and you get a bird, those those are pretty darn sweet. Exactly. There's there's nothing like a rooster on a place you've never hunted before. Yeah. And and to go to go back what you said about tactician work and unlock looking at habitat and reading mm-hmm. it and reading the day and where the bird's gonna be. I don't care if you've been hunting for two years or forty nine like me. Mm-hmm. I feel pretty good when I go to a new spot and I think what are the, what are the Pete, what are the other hunters been doing? What might the birds be doing? Where are the crop fields? Where are they loafing? What's going on? It's a Thursday. I'm going to go in this mm-hmm. pollinator stuff. They're not going to be in the wetlands. Mm-hmm. Boom! You go in there. Your dog gets birdie. You get a bird. You're like, wow! I'm really good. <laughs> and then I get and then I get my ass handed to me for the rest of the day. But that's okay. Yeah, it makes, that's pheasant hunting. It makes the successful days yes. very sweet. All right, number two. Trait of the successful public land pheasant hunter number two is hits hits it all season long. So this is uh, going against the grain of the the public land opening weekend hunter and saying, "Well, opener's done. All the birds have been shot." Right? Yep. So it's funny. I'm actually going to write a whole story about this in the fall issue, I believe, um, or maybe it'll be my back page column. But I, and I, I recorded it on my voice recorder the other day when I was driving somewhere. And my, my first line, I believe, is going to be, you know my favorite kind of pheasant hunter? The one who doesn't hunt in the early season. <laughs> and it's simple math. It's public land. There's a limited number of birds. <laughs> and every day they get hunted they get whittled down and down and down. And that's not to make you get all uptight, like, oh, my God, all the birds are getting shot. But it's true. Every day, there's fewer and fewer birds out there. And it's easy to tell yourself, I'm going to wait for the late season when the corn is in or stuff like that. There's always birds in the grass. Mm -hmm. Talk to a guy like Scott Rawl down in southwestern Minnesota. You go down, if you, like, I'll go down there and stay with him, and, and you lament a little bit, like, eh, it's pretty tough with all this corn up. He'll, he'll say, just go hunt. There's birds in the grass. Mm-hmm. You just got to find them. And I love the hunters who don't hunt the early season because they leave birds for me, and I'm out there hunting hard in the early season. Now, I love late season, too. The, the, <laughs> the corollary is you can go in the late season and – Sometimes you go to spots that are good winter cover and you think, did these birds ever even get hunted this Mm -hmm. year? They're everywhere. 
There's hundreds of them. There's dozens of them. Sure. And you're like, oh my God, they, they must not, how can there be so many birds? Well, that tells you how damn smart pheasants are and how good they are at eluding us. And, and in late season, you talk back to my eight below day with a 20 mile an hour wind walking with my dog and there's a hundred pheasants back mm-hmm. there. Um, they're not all shot off. They're right. birds there. So hunt the whole season. You know, to be honest with you, the hardest part might be that mid-November, <laughs> mid-season. You know what I mean? Sure. When everybody really wants to hunt, it's like that might be hardest of all. Right. Because they're not in the winter spots and they've been pushed around for three weeks. That's a hard time to hunt. It, it comes back to, you know, you, you wrote the uh, terms here in the beginning of this story. Spirit, attitude, mindset, effort, energy heart outlook and you can if you're looking for an excuse not to hunt yeah there's can, plenty of them <laughs> you can come up with an excuse early season while well, the crops are still up uh, you know it, it, i'm gonna wait yeah it's too or, warm too warm for the dog well hunt the other end of the day you right. know be, be pay close attention to your dog right or as the season progresses well i'm not gonna go because they got all shot up on opening day and you know there aren't any yeah. birds left or you know, oh, it's cold out or there's snow and, you know, it's going to be tough. If you want to find an excuse not to go, you're, you can find yep. any number of excuses. The reverse is true. You can find excuses why a certain time of the year is going to be the best. Opening day is obvious, right? Yeah. Birds haven't been hunting. Young birds, the number's never going to be higher than opener. Yep. You know, whether the crops are up or not, why would you miss the opener? I yeah. just, that baffles yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so number one, and it's beautiful. Oh, and maybe it's a little warm. You take care of your dogs. You, yep. you have to retire a little bit earlier in the day. Yeah. I, I get it. There's variables there, but there's more birds, young birds than any other time. Yep. To make an excuse not to hunt the opener is like you're looking for it. Yep. Um, as the season progresses, yeah, a bird number is going to potentially go down. Sure. That's natural, right? But then also the crops come out, the temperature's cool. Like it's pressure. Ever, pressure does relent. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, let's face a lot of hunters. I mean, I, I'd be interested to know how many pheasant hunters only hunt the first weekend or two. I think there's a huge percentage. I bet it's fifty percent. Yeah. And in the reality, like that November. You know, if it's 30 degrees with a light breeze and a burb, uh, robin's egg blue sky, like, I don't care if I'm bagging a limit. That's yeah. what I live for. Yep. There's nothing more beautiful than, you know, having a couple of flannel layers on and watching the dog and enjoying a beautiful fall day. Yep. The scent of leaves rotting in your nose and corn coming off the field. I mean, gosh, that's what I live for. And then you think, well, you can make an excuse about late season. Oh, it's too cold. There's snow on the ground. It's like, have you ever held the a rooster Christmas Eve rooster in your hand with full off plumage and the colors that just pop out of the snow. And you're like, this, I am going to have this as my Christmas morning (laughs) or Christmas afternoon dinner or Christmas Eve appetizers or new year's, you know, this is going to be, and then you think about, well, like you're, your little bowl that you just explained where the, the birds were all tucked in there. When it comes to late season, the the birds get concentrated. So it's a little bit, in many ways, easier to figure out where they're going to be. Yep. 
and you can come up with an excuse why you should be there late season. So it's just, I guess it comes from, are you a glass half full or glass half empty personality? If you want an excuse not to go, have at it. Yeah. If you want an excuse to go, then hard charging all season long, there are going to be birds out there and memories to be made. And I guarantee you, your dog doesn't care. Your dog just wants to be out there. And I also guarantee you, sometimes it's hard. You're like, oh, do I need, can I get this day off? I got a pack. Oh, this, it's just too much work. No, it's like, I've never looked back on any pheasant hunting day or any day outdoors and said, that was too much work to get ready for. I wish I hadn't done it. Yeah. Just do it. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that toward the end mm. here. Um, but you're right. It's, you can come up with excuses not to hunt, but I don't, I don't understand that. I'm always <laughs> looking for excuses to hunt, right. <laughs> as you well know. Um, all right. Number one, the, the, um, the finale of the article with a caveat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so number one successful trait of uh, the successful public land pheasant hunter is br- that person braves the oddballs, the overlooked, and your the favorite word, the hell holes. What do you mean? Well, this gets back to uh, the topic we talked about a little bit before when I said bigger is better. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, but sometimes these oddballs overlooked in hell holes are that XX acre little spot where my boy and I shot three roosters because nobody ever hunted it. But sometimes they're the micro spots on that big landscape. Mm-hmm. And they're the places that whether they're still, maybe they're still, it hasn't frozen yet. And it's that island out in a cattail swamp filled with willows. And you're like, God, if I can get out there, I know there are birds out there. Mm-hmm. And I've known, I've put on waders to do that. I've carried my dog through across streams and across swamps to get to places like that. And for grouse too, by the way. Um, so these oddball places where the pheasants get pushed, and they're, they're survivors. They're, they're in many ways just like a whitetail. Mm-hmm. They know where the hunters aren't, and they go there. Uh, and maybe they, maybe they don't think wow, we've got to go to that hell hole out in the middle of that swamp. But that's where they get pushed. Mm-hmm. And oh, oh, big surprise, that's where nobody goes. And oh, big surprise, that's where the birds are. And they'll fly out to feed and they'll fly back in. I've seen it in, in northeastern Iowa and south, in southeastern South Dakota. They'll fly out from the middle of these hell holes up in the fields and then they'll go back in and they'll fly a half a mile. Mm-hmm. They won't walk back there and they'll, they'll land right back in the middle of a hundred acre cattail slough. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God. Well, a couple things that you key in on there. You got to remember they have wings, Yep. right? So they can get to places that you, we can't naturally get into. So I, just like you, I've carried, um, hip waders or rubber boots. Cause there's a WPA in Western Minnesota that I think about that has a irrigation ditch all around it. And there's a little island that you can't get to unless you cross this irrigation ditch. That'll yep. go up to your waist. Yeah. So it's not nothing to, like, you can't jump it. Or at yep. least I can't. <laughs> but uh, if you bring hip waders, you get to a pheasant Valhalla. And I know that, you know, it's 10% of the bird hunters, if that, ever make it 
to that little Valhalla. Yeah. So that's part of it. The other thing that, and I know you're going to nod your head with this too. Like you mentioned, there's these places that are islands within wet areas. Uh, a secret is a, there's two ways to try to find a path through. Well, three ways. One is the hip waders are bringing something in to cross the water. Another is to pull up Onyx and look for play, like a high ground. Yes. And you can find some yep. of that on Onyx. Yep. The other, in very um, detective, true detective style, is follow the deer trail. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yep. the, the deer are just like us. They're not going to generally not going to swim to a spot, generally. Yeah. Yep. So if you can follow a deer trail, yeah. you might be able to walk your way right to just following where the the path leads you yeah that's that's a great tip and it's um and it's true that deer will they might go through water but they, they'll they know the shallowest part mm-hmm. that you might be able to get through with your boots or maybe knee boots you know maybe you don't need hip boots or waders lord help us but these oddballs and hell holes in these overlooked places whether they're isolated and nobody's ele- will ever go to them or they're the spots in these bigger complexes that are just like i'm not going to have fun being in there mm-hmm. that's where the birds are going to be <laughs> right. and i i i, I remember you will have fun there we f- <laughs> I, we we went into one of these the dog and i last november in a blizzard and i knew it was a willow a red willow tangle in a creek bottom in a horseshoe of a creek and the wind was coming 30 miles an hour out of the northwest and we dropped down off this off the ridge uh pretty high ground into this lowland and swung way around got the wind in our favor and came into these willows and those birds and it was a hell hole mm. and i we we had to work, we got some later but it was after the initial flush when they all went out because i couldn't shoot at them every time i'd try a willow tree would be blocking me i was pushing on willows to try and shoot at these birds as they're going out Hmm. and it was just so thick and it was so crappy it was like hunting rough grouse Hmm. but then we then we had kicked them around a little bit and then you got to put the work in Mm -hmm. we went out we went out to the grass right and they found they landed in the grass and you got you, you think wow, there's three dozen birds out here. We're just going to have a heyday. Well, no, we're going back and forth three, four, five times sure. till, till we find them because they're sitting so tight in mm-hmm. there. But the idea is we went to a spot that was out of the wind. It was thicker than hell. We thought, and the, we, me and the dog, she's smarter than I am, but we thought we're not, they're not going to, this is where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. It's out of the wind. It's thick. It's a hell hole. And... We I shot probably half a dozen shells and didn't get one because of the willows, but but we braved it. We yeah. went in there and we did it. And we could have walked the grass all day, and if we hadn't walked into those willows, it would have been for nothing. So we've covered the seven traits of a successful public land hunter, but as our closer, you uh, you added a bonus. <laughs> so bring us home. What's your... What's your bonus tip to close out this episode of On the Wing Podcast? I tell myself this all the time, and it it works for me, and maybe it'll work for you, and that is, I'll preface it with, I live for family, and 
loved ones and friends and all that, but I live for pheasant hunting too. Mm. Pheasant hunting is the outdoor passion and pastime that most uh, invigorates me. And I, I got to be honest, I love shooting pheasants. I just, I've never passed the stage of the sportsman of wanting to limit out on pheasants. Now, I love my bird dog work. I mm -hmm. love being the play. You know I love all these places. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's read anything I've ever written knows that. But I want to shoot pheasants. Every step you take gets you closer to your next pheasant. Maybe it's 8,000 steps. Maybe it's 300. Maybe it's the next one. Hmm. Who knows? You just got to keep going. And whether you're smart on your tactics or not, or whether you're smart on your scouting or not, you've picked a place, you're there. Every step gets you closer to your next <laughs> bird. And that's what I want is my next bird. I think you just argued that attitude is the most important ingredient. Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah. And, and I think what, what, and how do I keep that attitude up? Every step, you're one step closer. I use it with hunting partners. I hunt with you having a bad day. You missed a bird, the dog, you know, what, whatever is going on. I'm like every, every step you're closer mm -hmm. to your next bird. You can take that final thought literally too. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> take one more step one more step to complete a field yes right like walk to the very corner walk to the truck don't crack it open before you get back how many times have you been within 20 yards and you're like ah, just throw the shotgun over your shoulders and a rooster flushes i i'll is one of our last things I'll leave us with a story that you, when you said it, I'm like I've got the perfect example and it comes back to the XX acre hidden hell hole last year where we got three roosters in an hour nobody had been in it for weeks I'm sure we had a couple we forded the creek we found a crossing and we came back through some country some just hellacious thick grass and willows and we saw a couple hands and we got to the back to the road. And as I got to the road, you know, we'd had some good luck, but it's like every next step, I'm going to get another bird or it's, it's, it's a chance. I got to the road and I thought, I, I still don't know why I thought it, but I had the dog there and she had been a little birdie. I'm like, if I was a pheasant, what would I do? And I looked up the road and there is the, the grass continued up the road mm. And I turned right and I took three ste steps and a rooster went out. Mm. If I, I, I could have walked straight ahead mm -hmm. and never yep. known it. Yep. Three steps, one direction, one, two, three, out it goes. Yeah. By the way, I was so surprised it took me three shots to get that <laughs> one. <laughs> Classic. Uh, folks, if you want to read some of Tom Carpenter's yarns, and they're wonderful, including this article. That's in the uh, current edition of the Pheasants Forever Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue. <laughs> the seven traits of the successful public land pheasant hunter. Become a member of Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever. Pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. And if you join and you want to get this issue, drop carp, T. Carpenter, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R, -E -E at pheasantsforever.org. An email, he's making a list. Checking it twice, <laughs> going to send you out a super issue before Christmas. Yep. 
Long before. Um, and we need you to be engaged and become a member, be engaged in our Habitat mission and be, uh, become a member of our organization. And we'll get you this, uh, this edition. Hope you have enjoyed this episode of On the Wing Podcast. Carp, thanks. Another wonderful article to riff off of for the podcast. Appreciate it. It's fun. Thanks again. It's, it's always fun to talk through these and uh, tell a few yarns, as <laughs> yarns. you call them. <laughs> All right, folks. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thank you. <laughs>